0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Muratori. I'm Anna Redberg. And today we are—I I don't actually know enough Star Trek terms, but like we—we
1: we are going at warp ten. I think I think warp nine is the maximum. I
0: feel like I've seen a warp ten. Happen. Well, I think there was
1: some. There was. Some, I'm sure that's like an episode where they're like, "We have to go." We like, got to warp, warp ten. Yeah.
0: Alright, so I I am saying that we are we are warping at maximum warp. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. I, sure. I've heard them say that. Sure. Yeah. We are going at maximum warp into Casey's top five greatest movies of all time today. Wow. Because Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan is one of my very favorite films.
1: It's an incredible movie.
0: It's so good that I still enjoy watching it after, like, I don't even know how many times I've seen it. I know.
1: It. Actually, we, we were talking about this after we finished watching it. We were yeah. like, is this our most-watched movie? Because, like, we've seen it a lot of times together, like, anytime yeah. the Cinerama played it. Yep. Uh, or just, you know, for this podcast or whatever. And then I've, I've seen it a ton on my own before, and you've yep. seen it on your own before. So it's, like, probably... My most watched movie, and maybe yours too.
0: I don't think it's my most watched movie. Okay. Um, I I know what my most watched movie is, and but we haven't gotten there yet. Someday. Wait, what is it? do you
1: know. Oh my gosh.
2: Keep stay tuned to the Molly Movie Club.
1: Oh, okay, right? okay, okay.
0: Uh, but no, it's it's like it's up there. It's up there, and it's easily in my my top five. I think once you get you know, if you're talking about movies, once you get to a top five, it's probably not. For an individual, it's probably not that easy to like rank them. Yeah, maybe I, you can say like this is my number one, but like okay, do you really know the difference between number three and number four or something? Yeah, right? I so, think at
1: that point it's hard. It's always hard to pick. It sort of changes depending on your on where you're at. You know. Yes,
0: I agree. And so for Star Trek, 2, The Wrath of Khan is easily one of my favorites, which is really weird because I don't really like space movies that much. Mm-hmm. I don't really like sci-fi. That much. And
1: you definitely don't like Star Trek that much. And I
0: definitely don't like Star Trek that much. So none of this is fandom. This is just me for a bunch of reasons I bet we'll get into. Yeah. Thinking this movie is just amazingly, amazingly well-written. And actually, in a lot of places, amazingly well-executed. Which is even more surprising when you consider what the original Star Trek felt like to watch mm-hmm. nobody would have called that like amazingly well executed by today's standards mm-hmm. but star trek 2 uh, absolutely feels well executed to me especially considering their budget i, I think it's like a third adjusted yeah. for inflation a third of what say 2001 had.
1: Well, i was just gonna say like having watched 2001 last week uh, i actually thought about that during the movie i was like oh this looks quite a bit more low budget actually and than 2001 yes um it obviously has a it has a lot more in it than two thousand and one, and so Absolutely. that budget is gonna yeah. be stretched farther. yes, yes. um, yes. but you know you know and and there's things like that maybe don't hold up as well in terms of like some of the visual effects. but in general, Absolutely. in general, it looks very good. but you know, I was also thinking you know, thinking about interstellar a couple of weeks ago. Talking about how like the filmmaking quality was like really high, and in this movie, the filmmaking is competent. It's fine, um, but it's not the thing that you care about. It's like this: the the, the this movie is about character, story, writing. It's That's- the
0: it is the absolute mirror image of Interstellar.
1: Yes,
2: it is
0: yes. something where you know the sets are they're good enough. But you know, you're, if you scrutinize any of it, you're not going to be like, "Oh, you're that's not, amazing." You're not you're watching like, this nah. movie
1: for for beautiful yep. like images and compositions and and dramatic yep. and interesting and and mind blowing filmmaking. It's not it's not that kind of movie. Exactly,
0: it's the exact opposite, which is absolutely I mean, as close to flawless writing as you get in a movie, in my opinion, for yep. a number of reasons that I think some people might find this movie cheesy. And I could totally appreciate that. I have a reason why I would still call the writing basically flawless in this movie. There's a couple little nitpicks you could nitpick, as we always do, just to make sure you know we're paying attention. Yeah. But like, it's it's really incredible. Uh, the my understanding was this was basically written by Nicholas Meyer mm-hmm. in an incredibly short period of time, like a matter yeah. of weeks. Yep. Because uh, I my understanding was he kind of showed up on this project and they had like three scripts written. Mm-hmm. that were, uh, or, you know, something like this, uh, where they basically didn't have any idea what this movie was actually going to be. Right. And he took, like, all of these ideas that were just kind of like people were writing s- different screenplays that had nothing to do with this one but had little parts. Yeah. And he, like, put together this, this uh, what what I think is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, and I, I have no idea how he did it in such a short period of time. I guess it was just, you know he just happened to be on <laughs> and like yeah. he like saw some really brilliant stuff in there and went with it. I don't know. It was, it's really amazing.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it, it's amazing how much of it, like every part of it works together um, thematically oh, yes. uh, in this really complicated way. And it's kind of crazy that, that, that happens so quickly.
0: Uh, yes. It, 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 like this is something that I would have expected someone thought about for months and like, had realizations about like oh oh wait I could do this and it would pull it together tighter or, or this right. or this would be more a way to do that and still be part of the theme or something you know like mm-hmm. but no like apparently this was just like he took some scripts that weren't very good or at least just weren't this script right just some stuff yeah and somehow got this out of it which is kind of amazing to me but let's start
1: yeah let's start from the very beginning I guess from the
0: beginning so I think this uh. Every mo- every time we talk about an old movie this is going to come up. I'm going to apologize for it every time. I have so far, but I'm just going to say it again. Yeah. When you watch the opening scene of this movie, it reminds me of how great watching blockbuster movies used to be. Yeah. It's so much better than any opening scene that I've seen in any blockbuster in 20 years. Mm-hmm. I can't even begin to describe the difference. Yeah. It's so amazing to me that like, it I just it almost like hurts a little bit. So this opening scene is brilliant on so many levels. Mm -hmm. The dialogue is amazing.
1: Yeah, throughout the whole the dialogue stands out throughout the whole movie. It does some of the best movie dialogue I can think of.
0: And and I think to me it's remarkable for two reasons. One, it's always kind of a little bit clever. Like Mm -hmm. it's worth your brain's time to think about what's being said, mm-hmm. but also it's just the right level of cheese. Yeah. And, and this is really important to me because, and this might be, you know, some Star Trek people maybe don't like this movie. I don't know what what a no, Star Trek fan I, thinks about no, it. No,
1: I, I I mean, I am I am much more of a Star Trek fan okay. than you, obviously. Okay. I mean, I've watched like most of the series yeah. um, with the exception of the new ones. Yeah. But um. Uh, and yeah, like this this to me is like, I was uh, uh, I was thinking, because sometimes in my head I, I've gone back and forth and I'm like, oh, which do I like more, Star Wars and Star Trek? Um, which now is much easier to answer, because I feel like the new Star Wars movies has completely like, ruined that <laughs> for my brain.
2: Okay, okay. But,
1: yeah. um, but that's only because you what haven't I,
0: watched the new Star Trek. Yeah, so no,
1: basically. But what I, what, what I was thinking, no, no, when I, what la- yeah, l- I actually was thinking this during the movie yesterday. I was like, Star Trek at its best is better than Star Wars at its best. Mm-hmm. And Wrath of Khan is Star Trek at its best. Okay, great. I would say, in my opinion, as a I we're mean, in I, agreement there. Then yes, I, I don't think Star Trek has ever been as good as Wrath of Khan. I think that's as good as it gets because I think you know as much as I like you know Deep Space Nine mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. Next Generation, l- those original series characters are are so archetypal. Yes, and so perfect. and yes. in this movie they are they are played together so well it's the best of those characters
0: so i would absolutely agree i've i've never really so uh, coming f- from an outsider's perspective to star trek you know i have seen a fair bit of it i think everyone probably has at some level cuz it's kind of ubiquitous mm-hmm. but the the next generation um and deep space nine which i did see i haven't seen some of the other ones like voyager and and that enterprise or whatever but they never really, to me, managed to recapture the magic of Kirk, Spock, and Bones, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's the other characters on Star Trek were also kind of good, but they weren't as iconic. I think they kind of ran out of steam a little bit with some of the other characters, like well, Chulu Uhura and Chekhov yeah. are like, there's they're fine, but they weren't as immediately, like, iconic. They kind of accidentally maybe hit on something with those particular actors and those particular characterizations that's really... And particularly Kirk and Spock, obviously, which everyone kind of recognizes as this amazing kind of dichotomy. Yeah. um, But Bones as well.
1: He's a part of it. He's an important part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, there's a few pieces of, like, modern storytelling and modern fiction. I mean, modern in the last, like, 50 years or whatever. That feel like they somehow, like, transcended. They became...
0: Right, like the Darth Vader became, kind of thing or something. They became like
1: mythological. Yes. In the same way that, that you know, the kind of characters from ancient stories that we still talk about are. Yes. Like these are characters who will live on, who yes. people will be talking about for for many, many, many years to come. Yes. They've, Kirk, Spock in particular, and McCoy. You know, he's part of it too, but I agree, Kirk and Spock, it's really the... Yeah, and in this two. movie,
0: well, okay, so there's just so many things to talk about, it's hard to know where to begin, but to that point, this movie one of the reasons that I think it's such a brilliant piece of writing is because I don't I think people probably underestimate how difficult it is to come into something that's so well established. I mean by the time that this movie is being written you've had an entire you know what three seasons plus a movie plus who knows like books i mean there's there's so many things that would have been established for star trek uh, star, star trek original series yeah, yeah. at that time and just thinking about that i feel like it's it's really it's it's easy to underestimate just how hard it is to come in and write something brilliant in this framework, yeah, you have to know what's important and what's good about all of these characters, and I think this movie totally understands mm-hmm. the Kirk Spock yeah. interplay.
1: I think yeah, it totally understands what at the heart of Star Trek is sort of like what works because it's actually interesting because this is obviously Star Trek Two, right? And Star Trek the Motion Picture was a dud, like it was, and, and yeah. it, 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 partly because Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey had come out. And that yep. was really successful. And yep. so when they made Star Trek 1, they were like, oh, well, we'll do what they, what, you know, we'll do we'll do a 2001 thing. And it just yep. totally failed because that's not what Star Trek is.
0: Yeah, it's not what's interesting. I mean, in 2001, there's no characterization. Like, the mm-hmm. computer is the thing that has the character. Yeah. And Star Trek is all about these characters. So in this movie, right off the bat, I feel like the first scene is just incredibly brilliant writing. It does so much in such a short period of time it's like absolutely magical first of all one thing people might not realize is that it was sort of known like well known at the time this movie was going to come out that Spock was going to be killed off right yeah so faced with that it makes it kind of difficult for you to what are you going to do it can't it's not gonna be very surprising if Spock dies in a movie where you already knew he was going to die. So what do they do? They create an initial scene where it appears like Spock dies so that it will catch you off guard and then you realize that was just kind of a little You're bit like, of a Oh, joke.
1: that's what they that's what that whole yeah. rumor was about? Yeah. yeah.
0: So okay, so I feel like this scene is absolutely brilliant. It opens up and we see the Kobayashi Maru. You were talking about archetypal things. That's An arc, like almost like an archetypal idea now, like the unwinnable test of character. So, this idea, the Kobayashi Maru archetypal, amazing. Yeah. We see uh, Mr. Savick. Who is you know sort of like I assume this is like Captain in waiting like basically I don't know Star Trek but this is like she's going through the series of steps eventually she will probably command a starship right is right, my right. understanding right yeah. like that's that's her track her officer track or whatever mm-hmm. and she is taking the Kobayashi Maru but you don't know that and they do so much good stuff here. Mm-hmm you get to see the other cast members all kind of die in this sort of silly, like, looks-like-the-show way. Exactly, yeah. Like, right? there's
1: explosions, and they're flailing around they're and like, falling. And, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And this is so great, because that's what it looks like in the old show. Right. And they're almost, like, making fun of that Inside this movie, yes, yep. so good. And then after it all goes down, and it's like, okay, yep, you failed the test, just like everybody does. But that's the point of the test, right? You get again, movies don't know how to do this anymore. Yep, you get an actual character intro.
1: One of the greatest character entrances. So amazing. Yep.
0: You hear the voice. You just for the first time you hear William Shatner's voice. The door opens up. There's this crazy backlit way over the top, just like his character mm-hmm. and his acting. Yes, it all works together. Yeah, comes. he's got that smirk on, right? Mm-hmm. And it just it just shows this level of awareness for what these characters are. I think nowadays characters' entrances are not don't really have much to do with their personality, right. So, you get this amazing entrance for, for Kirk, and he's holding under his arm a tale of two cities. Mm-hmm. And it just sets the tone for this movie, and it gets, this is what I say, the, just the ex- exact right amount of cheese. Yeah. You, you, know, you come into this, you're doing Star Trek II, you know what kind of performances those actors give. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be subtle. This is going to be like Shakespearean. There's going to be people standing giving loud proclamations about things in overly complicated like language, mm-hmm. right? That it's like a stage play is what Star Trek feels like to me. It's not a, a up close intimate subtle like people thinking about things and looking at each other. Right? It's not that at all. It's much more like telegraphed and big.
1: Yeah, it's heightened. You know it's I'm like saying? everything is everything is slightly more simple. But that's, I mean, I think that's sort of, I mean, that's what stories are, right? I mean, sure, sure. But I mean, it
0: knows it, the the writing knows what these characters do and how they do it. So Moby Dick. Let's let's talk a little bit about the literary stuff. So you know, you you can see so many literary things weaved in here. In sort of the way that we we talked about how Interstellar had these things where they would quote some Shakespeare, it didn't really work, right?
1: I don't think it was Shakespeare. I don't know. I don't even know uh, who who wrote that.
0: Oh, the the uh, which which part of it? The
1: in Interstellar the yeah, like yeah. rage rage yeah, against yeah. that don't that's not is that Shakespeare?
0: I always assume that something is Shakespeare because I can't remember my Shakespeare. I don't think
1: it's Shakespeare. I don't know. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound like Shakespeare, but
0: no, yeah, it, that's that's true. Uh, We should probably look this up.
1: Doesn't matter. This is a
0: movie club, not a literary club. That's
1: a good point. That's a good point. Anyway,
0: I don't remember what they were quoting in Interstellar because I didn't know at the time. I was just like, this is bad. It's poetry that I don't actually like, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Here in this movie, they do an amazing job of weaving in sort of these famous large literature themes Mm -hmm. that are very like, again, also kind of over the top. Like Moby Dick and A Tale of Two Cities, and uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I saw. Those in there. are the
1: two. Those are the two big references. There's
0: like a. I think there's a King Lear on the shelf or something. I don't remember what's what's up there, but it doesn't really come into play. But anyway, uh, the they're not subtle books. Right, they're
1: also both in the movie.
0: Like the books are in the movie. Yeah, like they're. Yeah. It's
1: it's like we we want you to we want you to be very aware of this of these like literary references we're yes. using. Right,
0: and it, I feel like that fits Star Trek to me again so well.
2: But yeah,
1: well, there's also always been there's always been this sort of like intellectual fun thing about Star Trek where there there's. The, they bring in the past. They bring in history. They bring in uh, literature. Like the, yes. you know, the, the idea that these characters yes. are well read and and yes, uh, yeah. So it totally fits in Star Trek in the world of Star Trek to have these sort of these references.
0: The and the analogy I would give to that too is so like speaking of Shakespeare, for example, everyone probably knows like some guy who like really liked Shakespeare in college sure. or whatever, right? Yeah. And when that guy's at your party, sometimes they're a lot of fun, and sometimes they're insufferable, right? And Star Trek, to me, is that guy, right? When that is working, it's actually just charming. It's like, oh, this passion for these kind of old works, and it's like, and that larger than life character who Mm -hmm. doesn't really probably exist in real life, but is, you know, is immortalized in fiction, right? Yes, yes when that works, Star Trek works for me, and this is that to a T, Mm -hmm. right? So I love the fact that they have those kind of like overt, over the top literary things. Anyway, so Kirk's entrance is amazing because it looks great, he's got the book under his arm, he's performing over the top, just like you know he would, but right on his game. He's, He's absolutely delivering. He walks around the bridge and every line of dialogue is perfect, mm-hmm. that he says. He says, physician, heal thyself.
2: Yeah, yeah, to, to Bones, Bones, yeah.
0: Right, right off the bat. And Bones is like, what about my performance? And he says, I'm not a drama critic. I mean, such a such a great line to put in William Shatner's mouth, mm, right? Mm. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Like, I just really miss when people wrote movies. Like, mm-hmm. the dialogue isn't just functional. It's, like, smart and interesting and perfect and over the top and, like, Every, it's just tuned, like like it just works. And each char- the
1: characters all sound like themselves. Yes, um, like because they don't all sound the same, right? They sound
0: completely different, yeah. which is so rare nowadays too. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, you get this conversation with Mr. Savick that kind of sets up the entire movie right off the bat. He says how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life, right? Yes. Yep, and you can, there's, there's kind of a couple themes in this movie, but right off the bat in this scene and in, in the following two or three scenes, we see them all set up. This is not a movie that just like, you know, this isn't, um, the movie I would most bag on, uh, if we ever do a Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We're not,
1: well, we probably won't Uh, do that, but you never know, I guess.
0: If we ever did it, you know, that's an example of movie I think is like one of the worst possible writing in a movie. It's it's like it's mm. it's like if you, if I had to give like lowest possible writing marks, it would be like that movie, because it's a movie that claims its theme is one thing, but the actual movie contains nothing but the opposite of that thing,
2: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so this to me is an example of of like really great writing. It's like everything is set up and everything actually follows through, and these opening scenes really do a great job of that, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and I think I think this movie is really great too because you know Kirk is. In some ways, you know, he's he's the the sort of archetypal hero character. He's 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 and, and I, I mean and and I think there this is what the story is sort of about. What happens when that character gets old yeah. and and has to start facing things they've never had to face before? Yes. And so it's sort of it's sort of taking the archetypal character and breaking it down a little bit. Um and and. Because you were saying before, it's like, oh, you know, Star Trek is very heightened and about, and it's not subtle. And I, I would agree in general, but I do think this movie gets into some much more sort of like subtle, detailed aspects of these characters. Uh, Kirk in particular, I would say. I'm yeah. not sure it really do, it doesn't, does you know, Bones doesn't have much um, in terms of that kind of thing. And Spock doesn't really either. It's, it's really a study in Kirk. I think um, it kind of is a little bit with Spock, though, I would say. A little bit, but I really do think... You know the stuff that happens with Kirk, and he his, is the,
0: the yes, he is the main character in the traditional sense of the word.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and the, what he has to go through and the changes that happen to his character are, are the most extreme and absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean he's the main character. Yes, for reals. Um, yes. and and William Shatner, I mean, everyone in this movie is at the top of their game, doing the best work they've probably ever done. Yes, um, for the
0: Star Trek people. For the Star I mean, William
1: Shatner is genuinely incredible in this movie.
0: He is. Yeah.
1: Um, I I don't know that I've ever seen him as good in anything else uh you know because a lot of people like to sort of make fun of or tease about Shatner's acting and and it can be kind of it's kind of camp and cheesy especially in the original series yeah um
0: he's a hit or miss actor no question but I mean with this script this he hits with
1: this script he he nailed it um he's he I mean it's just it's just an incredible performance
0: Oh, absolutely. I think it's an absolutely incredible performance. And well, you know, I'd also like to talk about Ricardo Montalban.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't talk about performances in this movie without mentioning Ricardo Montalban.
0: And, And I think one thing that I would say, I'll say it again when we get there, is I think this is just also another reason why I say that the acting and the writing in this movie are absolutely fantastic for what they are, because each is reinforcing the other. Yeah, you couldn't have these over-the-top performances in a subtle thing; it would be laughable and bad. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't have this writing for actors who don't know how to be large and over-the-top. Yeah, like uh, when we get to the con stuff, I think I'll talk about that more because it's really true. But if like I, I don't think people would really quite know. Just how amazing Ricardo Montalban is oh, I in this movie. Know.
1: I think they know. I think people know. Uh, I was going to say, it's
0: until they would have heard someone else do it. Like, it's one thing to say he does a really good job in this movie. It's another to stop and think about those lines that he's saying and how un, like, how much different they would sound coming out of someone else's mouth. He makes scenes... Feel amazing!
1: Oh, yeah. When he's on screen, that, yeah, you you cannot tear your eyes away. It's just I mean, a, yeah. it's like it's nuts. Uh,
0: but we'll get to that in a second. So I'd like to talk a little bit more of the thing you're talking about with uh, getting old. Mm-hmm. So right after the initial Kobayashi Maru scene, which I think is great. Uh, it also has the little teaser in there where he goes. Aren't you dead to Spock? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which again, clever.
1: I mean, it's clever. It's very clever. clever. Yeah,
0: aware of the fact that that's what people were going into the movie expecting. Again, playing with that a yeah. little bit,
1: which is fun. I mean, I think you know, playing with people's expectations, yes. especially for a movie, a Star Trek movie, yes. any, any sort of big pop culture yes. movie. You know, I think especially if there's if there's rumors and stuff, it's like you don't want to you don't want to go all in and like be too self aware, right? Or too too playing into pop culture stuff. But little nods like that are kind of fun. And
0: uh, immediately after that scene, which I think is amazing, the next scenes are amazing, too. You get these nice sort of one-on-one scenes. It's Kirk's birthday. A great idea to have it be his birthday, right? Because we're talking about age. Again, it just kind of brings that into focus. And he gets gifts from his friends.
1: Right. He can have, He gets a nice one-on-one scene with each with, yes. with Spock and with Bones.
0: And Spock, I think this is where we kind of see, even right off the bat, and it continues throughout this movie. We just see that Nicholas Meyer totally understands how to write dialogue for Spock mm-hmm. in a way that few people do. It's yeah. so good.
1: I, I kind of agree. It's like, I mean, the character is the character. But the way he's written in this is is pretty impressive. Oh, it's
0: so good. None that I'm aware of, except of course, "Happy Birthday." Yeah. I mean, it's so good. And again, I think it just shows this awareness of who is going to be saying these lines, like what character is going to be saying them, and which actor. Like, it it seems like the writing just knows that this is what should be coming out of this person's mouth, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, anyway you get all these kind of great little lines. It was the best times of the worst of times. Something you're trying to tell me, mm-hmm. Spock, right? <laughs> or is there some kind of message, Spock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is great because it comes back at the end since he reads the first line of A Tale of Two Cities at the beginning of the movie and the last line of A Tale of Two Cities at the end. Mm-hmm. And they were both a gift from Spock. And of course, Spock dies at the end. So just like the main, uh, not the main character, the, uh, the secondary character in in Tale of Two Cities.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, just doing it right. Uh, It's funny we should, this should have been spurred by Christopher Nolan because Christopher Nolan also has an incredibly bad version of this in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. They tried to do a bunch of Tale of Two Cities stuff and Mm. it doesn't work at all. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Uh, So again, like just not his strong, like literary references, maybe not something he should be (laughs) doing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so after we kind of get this really nice setup of, you know, Bones pretty much directly tells Kirk, you know,
1: well, you're, you know, Spock tells Kirk too. Yeah, Spock is like, you know, p- captaining a starship is your first best that's destiny. Later. Is that later? Oh, later? oh, I guess much that's later. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's when he has to take over. So, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'll cut that.
0: No, no. We can be wrong on the podcast. No,
1: impossible. We can't be we wrong. We already don't know
0: what the <laughs> literary reference was in Interstellar.
1: That's a good point.
0: So, and we already aired that one.
1: That's a good point. So
0: we can't fix it. Right? <laughs> we're not. We're not. Uh, we, we're not literary critics. We're not supposed to know these. It's things. true.
1: But yeah. So in the next scene with Bones, uh, Bones gifts him some uh, some Romulan ale
0: and reading glasses and reading
1: glasses because he can't take retinax.
0: He's allergic to retinax. Yeah, 5. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and yeah, they just basically have a discussion about about age. And uh, getting older, and and you know, like basically, Kirk. I mean, his friends can perceive, can tell that Kirk is is dissatisfied, right?
0: And they're sort of saying, you know, the the thesis here is that you're you're only as old as you feel is sort of the phrase that people say, and that's what's going on here. It's like because he's working at a desk job, just like not doing the exciting stuff that his like personality wants to do. He's sort of getting artificially old. he's like, feeling, he's he's feeling he's old. older yeah. than he's feeling older than he maybe could if he was not doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. We kind of leave it there. That's where we stop. Uh, and that's when we cut to sort of t- start talking about some of the other plot elements that are in motion, right? That's when the movie kind of switches over to the con side of things. And uh, again, I just look that setup just you look at the everything that's going on there. It's not a huge amount of screen time, but they've got everything in it. Iconic Kobayashi Maru, uh, fake out about Spock's death, great interactions between the characters, clever dialogue, setting up all of the themes. Yeah, setting up everything. Life and death and age. It's just, it's beautiful work. I mean, it's beautiful work. You'd like to think this is the kind of thing that you go to the movies to see. Unfortunately, you just don't see it anymore, anyway. mm-hmm. but it's beautiful work.
1: Yeah, I mean... it. It's basically perfect, as far as I perfect. can tell. I mean, there's there, parts later on, like as you say, there's nitpicks you can make, but I, I think in this section of the movie, at least, there's it's flawless. I mean, it's, it's just it's perfect. pretty
0: much it's it's the flawless movie opening, um, and it's flawless in the face of a massive weight. This had to work with all of these established characters and established ideas and established mm-hmm. scenarios, and it's just flawless. It's really amazing. Yep. So we now move on to the Khan side of things.
1: Yeah, we should talk about we should talk about Khan.
0: We should talk um, about Khan. Uh, yeah, you know this is something that I don't really know much about because, like I said, not a Star Trek fan. I, I'm aware that Khan. Apparently, these things all happened in the show. Khan was marooned on the planet. Yeah, the episode um,
1: Space Seed. Um, City um, Alpha Five. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's you know it's a classic kind of silly original series uh episode. And it's great too cuz you don't really have to you don't have to have seen that episode to to really care. I mean uh they they do a nice enough job of kind of explaining the situation without going on too long about it. Um but yeah, Khan, one of the greatest movie villains, probably. Absolutely. That reveal, I mean talk about character reveal too. The way they sort of and, and then the music starts to come into play here too that when he you know he's he's pulling off all of the all of the gear.
0: Incredibly slowly and deliberately. Well, yeah,
1: and, and, and this is where I say the music actually starts to kick in. The music in this movie we can also talk about it yeah, some Yeah, we should. Um, but yeah, when that that kind of the con theme just suddenly hits when he pulls it off and reveals his face. And you don't even need to know who he is to be like, oh. Yep. And everything in this scene is great. So, you know, talking about good writing, like there's a few moments in this scene that, I mean, this is a thing we've, we've talked about a lot before in the past, which is just the idea that characters only know what they know, right? There's like a lot yes. of times today people write characters as though they know what the writers know.
0: So in, and in, in scene, blockbusters, in, it's ubiquitous now that the characters themselves always know the entire screen. Right. And so, it, always. And,
1: and there's a few really great examples in this scene Yes, um, and throughout the movie, but in this scene, it, it's really clear um, that Khan only knows what Khan would know. Yes. And, uh... He assumes that, you know, that Chekhov and this captain know who he is, know, know where they are and they don't. And, uh, but yes, the best one is, is, um, that Khan doesn't realize that Kirk is now an admiral. Yes. Right. And then when Chekhov says admiral Kirk, yes, you know, Khan has this moment of realization. He's like admiral. Ad- um, admiral. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's great uh, for so many reasons, um, because it's true to the character and true to the situation. But it also, you know, it, it's an, it's another piece that is building that anger, right? That because yes. you know, Khan has this insane desire for revenge. Moby Dick is on his bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's,
0: it's his white whale, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And it's
1: like one Kirk more is his white whale. one more little piece. Kirk has done this horrible thing to me and he's gone off and been promoted and, and
0: well it's it's amazing because in that scene you get Everything, so there's so many good parts to this scene. It's so amazing because it builds, it constantly builds mystery both for the movie and for the scene, all of which pays off. Like, you don't know what's going on. They're not sure what they found here. It's like, oh, there's a there's not supposed to be anything on this planet. We found something on this planet. There's, like, a cargo container. What's in it? We go inside. It looks like it's recently habited. There's a chessboard, a checkerboard. So people have been playing a game here. Obviously, humans have been doing something recently. They see this weird, like, thing in the sand, like, inside a... Like a you know, well, bowl, this is so that's a, this is a right? cool
1: moment too because we see we see the creature the um this I don't even know does it have a name I don't think it does the little worm thing that that um the they, only
0: remaining indigenous life form
1: yeah um and so that that creature is introduced. Uh, you know, I mean, at the beginning of the scene, right? It's yeah. only one scene, but but before that, you know, it's he doesn't just walk over to it, and and your first yeah, time yeah. seeing this creature is right then and there, right? Yeah, so that's kind of a fun little it moment. It sets too. up this
0: little bit of suspense like, what is that thing? It's like,
1: what? What is that?
0: Yeah, so that mystery, and then you get to see Chekhov's realization that it is Khan, but you don't know what that is, probably, unless you're a real avid Star Trek fan where Botany Bay. You remember, like Star Trek fans would well, probably know. yeah, yeah. And I But mean, for it, people like me, I don't know. So I'm look, going like, wait, what's going on? Well, like, that's you just, know.
1: so is the other cat. So is Tyrell, the yes. captain. He's like, well, yes. Chekhov's like, we need to get out of here. And yeah. he's like, what do you mean? What's going on?
0: <laughs> and it's just this great way of building a scene because, again, the characters only know what they know, right? Right. So you get to see like one of them freaking out. The other one doesn't understand why. It's like this great most like you're wondering what, who, why, like, why do they have to leave? And then when you get to see Khan, A, the dialogue's amazing. You are in a position to demand nothing. I, on the other hand, are in a position to grant nothing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like so much great writing in it. Yeah. But also, they figure out ways to weave in the exposition that are satisfying. He's never told you the tale. To amuse your captain. Like, he's talking like an old, like, tall ship, which sets up that whole tall ship feel that we're about to get a lot of. Yeah, the
1: language, just the writing, the language is so kind of, like, flowery in this lovely way. Um, The characters are always, it's always so fun to listen to. And that's half writing, and in this case, half performance. I mean, Ricardo Montalban is just, like, chewing on these lines. Yes. um, And just... Oh, my God, like it's the so decisions good. he's making are are just like nuts and so it's good. Amazing. And like this sort of big Shakespearean, you know, grand villain like you want you want that car- yeah, that kind of corniness, that over the top yes. villain thing. It's so effective. It's so good, you know, to, to sort of balance that with Kirk, who is also yes, like, exactly I And mean, I guess I not balanced. Say. I mean, they are the s- so similar in yes. so many ways. They're both over the top and driven and and. It's exactly the kind of villain that a person like Kirk, that could beat a person like Kirk, right?
0: Uh, and it's it's also a great, like, the villain is perfect for also, like, showing the strengths of the heroes in Star Trek, mm-hmm. which I think the flaws and the strengths. Right. Like, the reason that they are able to eventually defeat Khan is because they have something he doesn't have, mm-hmm. which is which is teamwork. Honestly, like you get these stupid movies that are like teamwork's most important thing. No. And no teamwork has happened in the entire film (laughs) in this movie. You get to see that, like, because he, you know, Khan is just like entirely top down. He runs the show and he has a fatal flaw, which is that he is bent on revenge. No one can talk him out of it. It, it, people try. Right? Yeah, and I think it's
1: also it's like the the um, sort of the the disorder versus order, right? Like the chain of command of Star Trek, the kind of the kind of cool, emotionless order of things. Even with with someone like Kirk in charge, who is a very emotional kind well, of fire person. Well, it's because person. there's other people. They, yeah, yeah. they talk. Right. Right. There's there's uh, there's sort of this. There, you know, one of the things that I think so many people like about Star Trek in general is is that sort of the discipline. The chain of command, the the lot, the cool kind of logic and decision making, even when specific characters are not maybe so level headed, right? Yes. Like someone like Kirk, whereas Khan is the pure, just the pure emotional, pure yes. kind of um, unch- uh, unchecked sort of powerful person who, who yeah, his followers just have to listen to him, well, even when they disagree the with him. Well, superior
0: intellect, Anna
1: superior intellect that's right that's right yes. um, but you know and when his when his his minions you know start to question his decisions rightfully right yes um there's nothing they can do he's yes. it's what he says is what goes um, yes
0: and you see how on the star trek side of thing on the on the enterprise side the conversations between the characters are really what let them solve the problems pretty much every time. Like each person is playing a crucial role in making sure that each
1: according to his gifts,
0: each according to his gifts as all living things. Mm -hmm. So I think he's the perfect villain too for it because he, he is going to show the flaws and the strengths of the characters. And that's what a villain's supposed to be doing. That's mm-hmm. the point of a villain. Well, and he
1: even takes advantage. You know, um, initially he gets the, uh, the gets the upper hand because yeah. he takes advantage of the trust that Starfleet yes. has in each other. Yes. Um. And why uh, by, by you know them not putting their shields up when they can't yep. communicate with Reliant. And so yeah, it's it's the the flaws and the the advantages of that system, that sort of chain of command.
0: So I guess uh, that that kind of puts a, a circle around the opening of this movie. I guess I would say right mm-hmm. um we probably don't need to talk much more about like small dynamics that happen because hopefully with those scenes kind of like broken down you can kind of just see like that's what's happening this entire movie mm-hmm. like like everything is done in this way where each scene not only is well designed to work as what it's supposed to to be itself but also in the wider context like everything is doing work here in the small and in the large it's yeah. just it's just brilliant
1: yeah i mean there's there's nothing extraneous there's nothing in this movie that isn't forwarding character or plot um And uh, but not not in like a forced way, just in a very natural feeling way um, where it's just everything is is reinforcing everything else in this really satisfying way.
0: So I guess we'll end we'll leave that part by also one other thing I wanted to mention just to put a final button on that scene is even that even just how this sets up the plot also shows a respect for understanding what the characters know and don't know and what they would do or not do. Mm-hmm. The end of that scene with Khan, he says, you didn't expect to find me here. He has right. this realization, right? You get to see the moment that the villain's plans start to form. Right, because then
1: he's like, why are you here? Yes. And he, he learns about the Genesis device and he, yeah. using the information he now yes. has, formulates a plan to get Kirk there, which is his goal, right?
0: And this is something that is very consistently done in this movie that I think, again, we're just talking about, there are so many ways in which modern movies are terrible in contrast to older movies, I think. And this is consistently one of them as well, which is that traditionally in older blockbusters, the villains are given a lot of time to encounter their own obstacles make their own mistakes and have their own ideas. And that is absolutely gone now. And in fact, I would say it's weird that it's gone because the one time there was any of that, which is like in the Marvel Thanos, like at one point they actually decide Thanos could be like an actual person who exists in the movie mm-hmm. instead of just an abstract villain, which mm-hmm. is what they almost all they only really had mm-hmm. in a lot of these films. Everyone loved that, it seemed like, right? Yes.
1: I think I think um, he was the most he was the, the most well sort of uh received of the Marvel villains, I think. Yes. Um, uh, and I think Loki a little bit too for similar reasons. For similar reasons. And um, I feel so
0: like it feels to me like the evidence is still clear yeah. that this is just what solid storytelling demands is that your villains are going through their own story. Yes. And nowadays that's almost completely gone and I don't understand why because the few times that someone remembers to do any of that and not even well in my opinion but just to do it at all people still love it. It makes, I think it, it's makes it much better. Yeah. It makes it much better and much more memorable um, yeah. to, to have that sort of the heroes and the villains are both going through stories and if you forget that then it feels really like kind of just ephemeral and forgettable to me uh, which is how a lot of these modern things
1: feel yeah and i think you know it makes khan so much more intimidating when you see his drive and you yeah. see and you see his desperation and uh, all the things that have gone wrong for him yeah and how determined he is right all of the things that you see really help kind of inform your your entire view of that character and if it's just some yes. cartoonish villain right <clears throat> Um, who doesn't have much of a story? You don't really have a lot to go on. You don't really have. You don't really know why why they're scary. Why they're you know why you sh- you should fear this person. Why you should sympathize with them. Why you know like
0: or even why they are there. And that to me is the bigger thing yeah. because like so if I took them you know if if I was to pull out an Anna reference, I'm sure we'll do this sometime on the movie club. But if you look at a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. for example. There isn't a villain. There's no villain. This is about an internal conflict, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Man versus self. Right. And so
0: in that movie, they don't have one, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, they don't try to make pick, pull out some other character and say, this person is the villain, because it's not about that, and so there's there's not going to be a villain story. This is the, the 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 villain and the hero are inside you, right? T. Mm-hmm. Lawrence is both of those things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the West is both of those things, and all that, right? It's like it it that is how this story works. Yes, yes. In modern blockbusters, they always put in a villain, but then usually the movie doesn't actually really have a villain. It they're there, but they're not really there well I think the
1: funniest right? thing to kind of compare um, this to is if anyone's seen the rebooted Khan in like yes. it, Star Trek Into Darkness or whatever you, it's kind of the perfect comparison because in theory it's the same character but
0: is, he's not you, he never has his own story you never see him on his own he, he's just it's very strange and so as a result, it feels like you're telling a Lawrence of Arabia style where it's like, this is supposed to be about a hero conflict within themselves with no villain, but there is a villain. And so it's it's weird. It feels like the villain sort of almost half exists
2: well, in gives,
1: these modern and it movies them, it's very strange it gives it gives things this really sort of like Half-assed superficial <laughs> like cartoonish I mean yeah. look I love cartoons so yeah. cartoonish is probably not actually the word I'm looking for because cartoons yeah. can actually have good villains but yeah um, but yeah this Professor sort of, Radigan. yeah sure I mean there's lots of great examples I mean you know I don't like I don't like the sort of use of cartoonish as like a dismissive word because yeah. I, I draw cartoons I love cartoons yes. Um, yes I think our cartoon is actually quite serious there um, you go <laughs> But um, but yeah, just sort of this like unserious sort of like kind of just thrown in there, um, but doesn't really have any weight to it. And yeah.
0: yeah, it feels like they don't know what kind of story they're telling. Right. And and to bring it back to Wrath of Khan, this movie gets it. Yeah. Both the hero and the villain are having real, intricate, meaningful stories to them mm-hmm. that collide, which is what well, makes and- a great story
1: right and they bring out sort of the best I mean not best best best, and the worst of each other the best of each other in the sense of the best drama the best character things they bring out of each other yes
0: so I guess I would say like yeah I don't know that there's I'm trying to think if there's other specific things that are worth talking about uh, in the middle of the movie Uh, I I don't want people to think that maybe the middle's not that great I think think everything in this movie is great but it's just it's more of what we just talked about yeah
1: and some I mean something I will mention uh is the music. Yes. Because, you know, I think of the some of the scenes in the in the middle of the movie in particular, um, like the, the first sort of the scene where they, they, the Enterprise first encounters the Reliant, right? And there's a battle. Yep. The music in or that... Or just
0: when the Enterprise leaves space. Sure.
1: Off. But I mean, that, that first battle is... Uh, the, the, the score there is great. It's awesome. So yep. this is a James Horner score. Yes. And I would say it's, yeah, it's got to be top, top, you know, in my top 20 film scores for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, absolutely. It's one of the best. Um,
0: and, uh, and my understanding, again, we, we haven't actually like seen... Uh, well, I might have seen it a long time ago. But Battle Beyond the Stars, which I, I think is a Roger Corman kind of like Star Wars knockoff feature... Mm-hmm. My understanding, limited understanding, is that, like, basically, James Horner did sort of this music for that movie.
1: Well, James Horner is um, known for doing quite a bit of, like, self-plagiarism throughout his known, career. Yes, that's true. <laughs>
0: um, but that movie— Not that this is
1: not the only time. <laughs> nobody
0: watched that movie. I mean, not nobody yeah. watched that movie. It was mildly successful, mm-hmm. I guess, but it's not a classic or anything. So the movie—this this movie kind of, like, had the repurposed music from that. And I'm very glad that happened because this music is amazing and it would really have sucked if the only time anyone got to hear it is if they went and watched Battle Beyond right. the Stars. Right. Well, and, right. It, and it
1: fits. It also fits this movie so perfectly. Yes. Um. You know, you get Khan gets his own theme. Kirk and Spock, Spock gets his own theme it's just, you know, you want those leitmotif things in this kind of, in this Absolutely. kind of movie. This is like operatic, it's it's archetypal, it's all those things, right? You want the, you want that style film music. You want it to be big and and exciting and filled with really recognizable Absolutely. Um, themes that are tied to characters.
0: And also, I think uh, the other th- real strength of the music in this movie is that it has very strong dynamics. The Like you were talking about Hans Zimmer scores when we talked about Interstellar. And I would say that, you know, uh, while they worked okay in Interstellar, I think we both thought, a lot of times one of the big problems with those scores is that everything that this score is doing they fail to do they don't have a lot of intricate themes that help reinforce who's doing and what I, and also f- the dynamics aren't there like the Hans Zimmer scores are so aggressive in this movie not only do you have these big soaring parts and these tense parts but you also have silence at just the right times mm-hmm. and quiet you know I, quiet music at just the right times. I
1: definitely the the part uh, at, You know, well, obviously, the end, the last scene with Spock, you know, with Spock and Kirk when Spock is dying. Because you've just come out of this big, exciting, dramatic action scene with lots of music. Yes. And as soon as that, that final sort of scene, that moment with them starts, it's silent. It
0: goes dead silent. And it's
1: it's like dead silent. And it's so noticeable. Yes. Um, and so dramatic. And, and uh, then it just
0: puts in just a little bit theme. underneath.
1: Of Spock's theme. Yes. It, it, and it's 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 like... I mean, it's
0: masterful score. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's, it's, a, absolutely it's, it's, I think it's the, it's, do, it does what the best film scores do. And, you know, you were, you are saying like the Hans Zimmer scores and whatever. And not, not every movie has to have the, like, the leitmotifs and the whatever, right? Like, that's not how a film has to be scored. But this Correct. kind Correct. of movie sure. wants that, wants that kind of, of score. Absolutely.
0: Um, and, and it works absolutely beautifully here. Yeah. It's, so talking about things that are perfect in this movie, you know, uh, the writing is pretty, pretty, uh, damn close to perfect, mm-hmm. and the score is pretty damn close to perfect. Uh, like it's oh, it's yeah. really never done better than you see being done uh, here. Uh, yeah. it's it, it, it's just really remarkable. But uh, we should m- pull back from the ending uh, real quick. We don't. Well, we won't get into that, <laughs> that yet. But we I just want get to, get that, you know, yes. mentioning
1: the music. I think it was an important momentum.
0: It mention. absolutely is. And there's a couple times when they do complete silence. They know when they know. They knew when to score and when not to score, mm-hmm. and they knew what th- when to be loud and when to be quiet, and and that's just it's part of scoring that's easily forgotten, right? Like like not knowing what to do when is a big part of yeah. scoring. Well, and you know, and the apart music, from just is the music good? Yeah. it's like is it is it right? You music
1: know? I, I think is such a huge part of the emotional. Like music helps communicate a lot of what you should feel. I mean, there's so many movies I can think of that if they had a different score uh wouldn't actually be particularly emotionally affecting right um or or something like you know i always talk about the end of ET right and i, I cry every time like right. sob cry right and i'm like you know obviously the movie you know the story is part of that but i honestly think like it's like 75% the music yeah yeah for me and it's like so the, the music can have such a huge impact on your emotional uh, experience of a movie.
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, you know, you can do the experiment, watch the opening text crawl of Star Wars with nothing playing,
1: or something different, uh, playing. or something different
0: <laughs> playing, and it's just like there's just it puts your entire mind in a different space. So the music, the music just sets the emotional tone for a scene, like really nothing else can. The writing is crucial to make that scene meaningful. But in terms of like getting you in the right place to experience it, it's like only the music can really do that. So if the music is off, mm-hmm. right um, or or worse yet, like actively fighting that scene mm-hmm. which I think some people have complained about in Marvel movies uh, and and you know, I don't watch those movies very closely. I don't think they're ever gonna be that good anyway. but people have pointed out that sometimes you get these scenes where the scoring is almost like at cross purposes hmm. to like what's actually happening. And so worse yet you could even get a situation that's, where the mu- music is actively doing the opposite that's thing. It's really
1: interesting cuz Marvel mm. movies are something I've always thought of as almost having like no music. Like in some ways they are they are yeah. The
0: specific example we maybe we can pull it at some point but the specific example was uh, something about like some people were coming back in in a, a scene in Thor Somebody actually did it on YouTube. They, they showed, like, if we had just had, like, a score that matched the scene, it's way better. And they play it with a better, mm, with mm. a more appropriate piece underneath it. And yeah, it was way better. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, yep, yeah. all right, yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, it, the music does a lot.
0: So, thematically speaking, pulling back from the nitty gritty, uh, again, I love how coherent this movie is. Yeah. So, you think about, okay, Kirk is getting old. Mm-hmm. he's going to have to face death. Spock is going to die mm-hmm. in this movie, right? That's a big part of what this, you know, the journey in this movie, mm-hmm. where it ends and and what it means. He's going to have to face the, the, a real loss mm-hmm. at the end of this movie. And he has to grapple with his own, like, impending death, right?
1: Well, the interesting thing, too, is I I feel like for most of the movie, when Kirk is dealing with these issues right he's he's thinking about how he's feeling old and 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 what he's thinking about is his own death his own death he it's the hobayashi maru thing right where you know he can't face the no-win scenario he doesn't believe in the no-win scenario and i think that mentality has led him to almost not consider the fact that spock could die that his best friend could die yes He's so in, you know, in denial. I think about about loss and about death that I he doesn't even really consider it.
0: Yes, I agree. And at the same time, his own like spirit mm-hmm. is going through a rebirth because he's captaining a starship again, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like he and at the end of the movie, he says, "I feel young." That's mm-hmm. the last line of the film. There's yep. a narration by Spock where he just recites the. Yeah. Star Trek thing to close the movie. But like the end of this movie is Kirk saying, I feel young Mm -hmm. just to show you how much this movie knows what it's about. Yes. That's the last line of this movie. Yep. And what's the central MacGuffin in this movie? A Genesis device. A Genesis device. Yes. Right. It's a thing that creates life again. Yep. Right. Everything in this movie is it it thematically all keeps its shit together yeah. no, the it's, whole it's time. so
1: thematically consistent it's and so a, good. and yeah and everything reinforces the the main character's journey yes everything
0: it's so good uh and 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 who is the villain and what are they doing? Uh,
1: he's he's a man from his past.
0: A man from his past who is trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like he wants him dead, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's really-
1: That's all he wants. This is that's singular focus.
0: It's like the Grim Reaper coming, right? Like- mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, it's so good.
1: Well, and, 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 uh, cause he mentions that, right? He says like a man, you know, when he's sitting in the Genesis thing, yes. uh, they're, they're in the, in the cave, in the tunnel. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's talking about a man I haven't seen in 15 years is coming yeah. to kill me. And then he mentions his son. So, yes. you know, Carol Marcus has a son, uh, again, Kirk. creating
0: life. Yes. The next and, generation uh, but, uh, of But, uh, people, uh, yeah, but it's yeah.
1: also, uh, it's the path that Kirk didn't take. Right. He mentions yes. that too. It's like, you know, he sees in, in, is David is his name?
0: I think so. Yeah. But he
1: sees but, in his son, a, a path that he could have taken but didn't yes which is another thing that you know makes you feel kind of old right you can look back at all these like choices you made and directions your life could have gone that it didn't go and um and so that's the whole point of having the sun in there right is is another thing that kirk has to has to kind of confront yes yeah, I mean everything in the movie, you it know, it all
0: works to the same end. Yeah, right, and yep. and at no time are you watching something superfluous, really.
1: Well, and and and, and yeah, you have you have the ship full of uh, trainees, the next generation of, of yes. Starfleet officers coming to take to replace yes. to replace the old the old crew, yeah. right? Everything, it's it's it feeling feeling like that time that that time is kind of slipping away, and that your time is is beginning to.
0: And I don't know how intentional it is. Uh, because, so one of the things I think also that happens when you're writing is this good, when you, when you go this far mm-hmm. at making sure everything has this kind of like thematic consistency and you've put so many good ideas in here that work together and you know what you're doing, like you've got the right, you know, it's the right amount of cheese. Like I said, you know, yeah. you know where you're at mm-hmm. and you're doing all that is I think sometimes you also just get stuff for free. Like... Sometimes things you may not even have thought of right. now work for you because the 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 person who's watching this is steeped in this this uh, theme mm-hmm. that you're that you're driving for and you're putting all these things in that subtle things that maybe you didn't even intend yeah things that it could pop even pop out
1: you could have even put in sort of subconsciously maybe or... you didn't
0: even know you were doing it or maybe mm-hmm. you were maybe you didn't do it maybe it's just because the act of writing this thing mm-hmm. you can't help but some things just happened mm-hmm. that end up, you could easily interpret them along with the theme. So you get, you know, when you when you have something as, as poorly written as, like I was talking about, like Spider-Man or something there, that's never gonna happen. Because it's so scattershot that, you know, basically someone has to do all the work for you if they wanna put together a theme for the, your movie. Mm-hmm. Um, But in this case, because it's so strong, I think things get sucked into it almost like, you know, like a gravitational well, thematic things kind of get sucked into Mm -hmm. it. And so one of the things that I always think about with this movie that I don't even know if they intended was if you look at the difference between Khan Mm -hmm. and Spock, Khan ends up dying because of his ego. And Spock ends up saving them because of his lack of an ego, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, like he is willing to sacrifice himself to save everyone else in the most, like, cool, logical way. Just like, this is the right thing to do, yep. and everyone will survive, and that's better than me trying to figure out something to satisfy some other goal of mine i'm just here to make this work and i do yep and khan could easily have just turned his ship around Mm -hmm. but he won't because his ego is so wrapped up in in fighting kirk and kirk knows exactly how to bait him i love that part as well yeah i mean khan
1: is so so mad like mad in the crazy way i mean he's angry but he's mad he's he's like lost his mind to some extent that he becomes fairly easy to manipulate yes yeah
0: and so you get all these sort of things where all of a sudden stuff is jumping out about these characters that I don't even know if someone intended that when they were constructing this actual story, but because it's so strong mm-hmm. and the characters are so good and interesting and and you've you have them acting the way they should for their for their history and all this stuff, you just i think you start to get things for free because the audience now can pick out things in the story yep. that seem very relevant, that maybe you didn't even know or didn't yeah. even intend. oh, totally. It's, it's great. It, it really works. Absolutely. So the ending of this movie is, you know, I mean, it's just perfect. Again, mm-hmm. the, I, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons this movie sits so easily in a top five for me is that while the middle is all good, the beginning and the end are literally perfect, like The only nitpick you could have, I think, with the end of this movie is the annoying, like, shot of the Spock's coffin on the planet that the studio made them at. Like, like Nicholas Meyer did not want that in the movie. Well, there's one other other
1: scene. I think you may have mentioned this to me before. So the scene at the end, there's a scene at the end with Kirk and his son, David, that feels like it was written... Originally for Savick, maybe
0: which it wasn't according to the screenplay, but yeah,
1: yeah. But it's just weird because ha- like a couple of lines he says, they're like Savick said, like as Sav, you know, Savick said this is the you know it would have been maybe nice to have that little bit of closure with Savick's character, who we know a slightly better than David. At the same time, though, I think Kirk needed that moment with his son. He also needed closure there too. So both, like you know, I can't say that it's necessarily like would have been better done with Savick or something because i do think it was nice to have it with david i think that was a really nice moment for kirk and i think it was it,
0: it's tough it's tough because the problem is that well for one thing on the nitpick side it's one of the few nitpicks in the writings of the, in the writing of this movie that i would have which is that david doesn't know that kirk ever said to mr Savick. well
1: no no i mean I, you could imagine a scenario in which Savick and david i mean they you know that they were off talking no, you know
0: there's no way that 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 Mr. Savick for some reason said uh hey uh captain kirk once told me how we deal with lo- death is at least I'm, as important I as mean, you know. there's no way I could there's no it. way I, could believe, I okay.
1: could believe it I could believe it I could believe
0: it I can't I can't believe it in the in the 3 minutes they spent together walking to the genesis Well no but room, maybe
1: maybe maybe in the aftermath of of spock's death she said they they had a conversation or something I mean I agree I agree it's not great but I also I think I think it's fine like i think i think they you could have imagined they had had a conversation about it but but it's it's a little weaker right it's it's
0: definitely weaker i mean compared to the rest of the writing which is so tight right but yeah i agree like him having i think uh again the reason that that scene maybe pops out is because like like i said i think the end of this movie is basically perfect i almost elide that scene um i agree that scene's not perfect uh and so if you think about that scene it's like Part of the problem, I think, is that the son and Kirk just haven't had much screen time together, so it feels a little out of place. Like it's it's a little too much uh, closure yeah. for something that we didn't open
1: enough.
2: Right? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's a tough
1: one because by, tough. by introducing that character, you do have to have some sort of closure. Maybe, yeah. And I think in you know in that spot, uh, Kirk has just suffered a, suffered a really great loss. Yeah. I think having it be a healing kind of moment yeah. is really nice for Kirk's character. Yeah. So I I don't think it's a total disaster of no, a scene no, or something. no, 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 no But it's definitely, not. it's definitely like there's a few things about it that you're kind of like, you know. It just,
0: it, again, I think it's because in a movie that's so tight like this, where mm-hmm. everything is just, you're just like, wow, that's a great scene. Yeah. I think you notice when a scene is like okay that, that didn't quite wasn't as motivated as it should have been we we don't know these characters interactions as well as we could have right mm-hmm. it you it jumps out a little bit more if this were in another movie you'd never have known that but because it's you know you're it, anything that's not perfect sticks out like a sore thumb in a movie that's perfect it's mm-hmm. just it's one of the downsides of of being so good in your other scenes is mm-hmm. you know sometimes if you mm-hmm. if you slip up at all it, it, it shows more clearly right mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do so uh I guess I would say the ending of this movie is absolutely amazing the writing for the ending of this movie is so good I just don't even know uh it's Again, much like I think the entrance is so good, I would have to take an hour to like talk about <laughs> all of the things that I thought were good about it. Yeah, the ending's the same way. Mm-hmm. You have yeah, I mean, everything, everything in
1: from. This. I, well, I don't know what exactly you classify as the ending, but from you know from like Spock's death on, I suppose. I'm talking
0: about the whole ending, like so. The, from la- the, the last po- the when, battle, from beaming aboard the Enterprise to the end of the so
1: film. battle of the Matara Nebula to the end. To the yeah, end. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and I, it's it's just so remarkable because you know it shows. It shows how again in a modern. I hate to keep contrasting it with modern movies because I realize it's just like they're so bad that it's easy to punch punch on them, right? But
1: like I think it's uh, uh, more importantly, I would suppose I I think it's like it's kind of helpful to to compare to kind of illustrate why things are working so well in this movie.
0: Yeah. So uh, what I would say is the way that movies are ended now. Is there's just like, you know, if you think of, of you know, Avengers Infinity War or, or something like this or Endgame or something, you know, or, you know uh, Wonder Woman, uh, whatever. There's just a giant fight scene of some kind and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. There is zero plot contained in the events.
1: Yeah, I mean, at best it might be like there's a MacGuffin we need to get.
0: But if there's no plot, they just yeah. get it or don't. It, there's nothing and then, happens. And, and
1: yeah, they, they just punch each other up until that point.
0: I, and, and nobody does anything that is important for their character or that has some relevance to that. It's it just, there's nothing. There's really nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You look at how this climax plays out and it's the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. You see all of, you see not only where the villain is and where the hero is and what their interactions are. But you see why the heroes are able to triumph. What it is about their character Mm -hmm. and their experiences Mm -hmm. that allow them to win this time when they didn't win before. So we see it all play out. Khan has the chance to save himself and his family. He can turn around.
1: They can go wherever they want and start a fresh life. They're free. All he has to
0: do is turn around. Yep. But the white whale <laughs> that mm-hmm. is James Kirk, he can't let it go. Yep. And what happens here? Kirk has him him figured out now. Just like when they met before and Khan had the upper hand, he knew what Starfleet would do and he took advantage of it. Yep. It's exact opposite now. Yep. Kirk knows and he's been baiting him, mm-hmm. right?
1: Well, like, and, and yeah, because I mean, at this point, Khan is completely irrational, right? Like he's yes. not making decisions based on... On any interest in like self preservation yes. or whatever, like his he's he's singly focused on on getting Kirk, and so yeah, very easy to manipulate at this yes. point. Yes,
0: so he, you know, his ship does start slowing down because his first in command, I I have no idea what that guy's name is, um, but he is like, we don't go in there. Like it's ridiculous to go in there. We have a more functioning starship than they do, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, why would why would we do that? Um, and. Khan sort of listens to him, but then Kirk notices this, like they're not following us in, and he's like, I want to get these guys. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, no, right? Like, let me get on the thing and just bait this dude. Like, what's the matter? Like, you don't think you can handle it? Like, you're not, you know, well, and
1: Khan, you're at not this man point, enough to follow well, into the is, At this point, Khan doesn't realize that Kirk has actually made it Back to the starship, right? Until he hears Kirk's voice, yes. he thinks that Kirk, Kirk is still marooned yes. down on the planet. So he yeah. has that moment of of when he hears yeah. Kirk's voice, it just fills him with with un- yes. like uncontrollable rage.
0: Yes. So that's great. And then we also get why do they succeed? It's not just like you know the the modern Star Trek is just there's spaceships firing at each other. They just shoot at each other for a while and something blows up. Right. That's all we've got. In this, it's like, no, why would the Enterprise crew be able to beat Khan? Why? Right? A, we've already established that they had to, like, trick them into getting into this nebula. So we got one thing that already happened that's an interesting plot point of how did they even the score? Right? But then we get another interesting plot point, which is, like, they actually thought through, like, oh, somebody who doesn't have experience piloting a starship mm-hmm. is going to think about stuff terrestrially. They, mm-hmm. they, they usually are on a planet. They're walking around. Well, especially right? someone
1: like Khan, right? Khan was like a genetically engineered, like...
0: He's super old, super, but
1: like from a from an era from when an era where there's when no starships. Yeah. When it was, it was, it was on land and it was like, they were, you know,
0: and he's been marooned on this planet mm-hmm. forever. So he doesn't think three dimensionally enough mm-hmm. and Spock, they give it the exact right character to figure that out. Right. Cause everyone else wouldn't necessarily be thinking that way. And Spock's like, Hmm, like he seems to be staying like in a plane of motion more than I would expect. So he's like, you know, his pattern indicates two dimensional thinking. Totally brilliant. It's exactly logical Mm -hmm. that Spock would think logically. Logical. Exactly logical. And it works. So you're just like, oh, all we have to do is just change what plane we're in, expect him to kind of stay planar, and then we can kind of come back up to where we think he would be. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just works great. It's like it's a great little thing to throw in there. It makes it feel like the heroes actually had a reason why yeah. they would win. Well, they
1: ha- And they have a plan and they're executing a plan, yes. which is also just, it's kind of the Star Trek thing, yeah. right? Like in general, like Star Trek is about decision making and, and trying to be clever and, and, you know, trying to solve these problems. Yes. And, and it's, so yeah, it's like Star Trek at its best kind of again. Um,
0: well, and I think about the Star Trek movie that they did that was supposedly I don't, somehow. I don't
1: count that as Star Trek.
0: I'm just remembering like Spock is like randomly punching Khan in the face. Oh my God. It doesn't make <laughs> like it's just crazy to think about how bad.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, it, there's no point in us talking about that movie no. really, but I do think it's hilarious to compare. It's
0: hilarious to compare. Like, oh, we'll
1: make a, we'll do a re- modern remake with Khan in it. And that's what they came up it's with. So it's so insane. like so lost the plot at that point. Like um, it
0: just, it's a great way to, if you want to see the difference between real screenwriting and whatever you call what happens, today, yeah, watch Wrath of Khan back-to-back with their new Wrath of Khan, and pretty much demonstrates itself. Yeah. So uh, we also then get like, at that point, I'm satisfied. I've got my ticket price 50 times over already. But the ending with Spock is just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get this situation where the, the Enterprise is too badly damaged and they don't really have a way to repair it because, you know. The, the
1: warp, their warp engines are down, right? The warp and, core and is and down. It's too,
0: like, no one can go in there to fix it because the radiation's too too high. Spock, it, it's, just, it's just great character work realizes Mm -hmm. you see him you see this happen he realizes that he just gets up and goes right it's just just like he has a second you can tell he's thinking he's like oh i could do this i'm gonna die but it will save everybody yeah
1: and i think this is other this is also it does a great thing which is i think star trek is usually kind of better when it does this thing where it doesn't try to over explain the technology like partly because it's you know this these this is about character yes it's not about technology right yes and when the the technology is more explained like the genesis device it's only to support the, the themes and the characters right
0: um absolutely
1: whereas and in, yes. in the case of this right you know spock goes into this thing and he's just doing stuff yes and we don't really understand what he's doing but we don't have to it doesn't matter and it also you it, know is, it, not
0: only that we don't have to i would say it's it's actually better right because
1: it, it it kind of you know the idea with Starfleet and stuff is like, these people are competent. They are intelligent. They yes. know what they're doing. They know yes. how to fix things on yes. this ship. It makes them feel intelligent yes. that they know how to do this stuff. And yes. so the fact that Spock knows how to fix this, you just buy. Well, in, in this
0: in this in general, I think that's another strong point for me because like I said, I'm not a Star Trek person. Right. So, I find this movie really watchable from that angle as well, where they don't have the stupid like, techno babble stuff that I don't stand. Like, well, if we reorganize the matrix for the thing, we might be able to do. But to be honest, never happens I feel in like movie. in
1: some ways, though, techno babble is not that much different than this. It's like they never make an attempt to explain techno babble. For me, it sometimes has a similar effect, which is like. You're just buying that these characters are intelligent and know what they're talking about, and are using that to solve a problem, and you don't really need to know what it is exactly that they're doing, right? It just creates that sort of that sort of feeling of of competence, right? That well, would, it
0: depends. I right? think it depends on the context. Um,
1: sometimes it's fine, and sometimes when it when it is how they solve the only way they solve a problem is just a bunch of techno babble. That's like not very satisfying, right?
0: But, well, and I would contrast the two. So in when Star Trek is not working very well. I think you have this situation where that's like a uh, very that's very unsettling, which mm-hmm. is that like, oh, we have this big like th- crisis or, you know, climax where where we don't know how we're going to do blah. And then someone comes up with this random techno babble and that turns out to be how they do blah. It's so unsatisfying. Right. In this movie, I love it because it's the exact opposite of that. Not only have we been completely explained on what like the Genesis torpedo is which is the only piece of technology we really need to understand in this movie.
1: Well, and as, and as I was saying before, it's a it's a piece of technology that thematically, thematically is is it's it's more important thematically than it you know than it even is like plot wise or physically you know what it is. Yeah. Well,
0: and another way to say that would be it does double duty. It's not only the explanation that we spend the time that we spend learning about the Genesis torpedo so that we understand what it does for purposes of the plot was also time spent explaining it for purposes of the theme. Exactly. Right? So we're not exactly. wasting the viewers' time. Exactly. Right? they reinforcing,
1: reinforcing. It's all reinforcing what the itself. movie is about. Not
0: only is all that great, but they don't use the Genesis torpedo to solve the climax. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. It creates a problem for them. Right. Techno Babble never gets them out of anything. It only gets them into things. Mm-hmm. And it is character sacrifice, growth conflict that is what solves the problem. Yeah. And to me that's writing, right? Yes, like
1: it's the characters the characters and their choices yes. that matter.
0: That's what's important.
1: Yes. I don't give absolutely. a crap
0: about dilithium crystals, but, right, but spock sacrificing right, right. himself to repair whatever
1: what's the heck that is. That's why I'm saying, te- that is, I'm saying techno-babble amazing. in and of itself is not a problem. If, if at the end of the day, it's the characters' choices that matter.
2: Yes. Because all
1: agree. I was trying to say is I think Technobabble is essentially, you know, what Spock was doing was just the physical equivalent of, of Technobabble.
0: Technobabble. Okay, yes, I'm with you.
1: And, and so the Technobabble is not actually a problem in and of itself. It's sort of how it's yes. used. And yes. in this case, it's used to great effect.
0: Yes, totally agree. So we get to see Spock make a heroic sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's
1: incredible.
0: It's incredible. Although um, it's, it, it's, he would r- uh, perhaps remind us that uh, uh, we proceed from a false premise. It was not heroic sacrifice to him. It was merely
1: the logical, logical thing, thing to, to, to do. do. But, the, but I mean, from the moment that, you know, Kirk thinks he's done, he thinks he's done it. Like if you're bringing it back to the Kobayashi yep. Maru, right? Yes. He's like, we did it again, right? Yes. I, I beat it. I yes. beat There's the no unwinnable. There's no such thing as the no win scenario. Yeah, exactly. Um, he thinks he's done it again. But he looks over to that that seat and he sees that Spock isn't there, right? Yeah. And he kind of he kind of knows,
0: yeah, you've never seen him rush like this. The whole movie. he is walking around, sure, sure, sure. This is the first time we see he slides yeah, he slides down, down the, down the ladder. ladder. yep, that's how panicked Kirk is for the first time in this yep. movie when things have been going wrong the entire time. This is the first time he's scared,
1: yep. And so he gets down there, and he sees Spock, and I always loved this moment. He turns. Like, he can't actually face it, right? He sees he sees him, and then he, like, looks back. He's like, as though he can't, right? He, he And then he has to turn and, and actually accept it. And all of the acting, I don't, you know, I don't know how much of that was directed versus... In terms of, like, you know, things like that, like, turning around or whatever. I would assume it was in the script, but I actually don't know. Um,
0: yeah, or in the directing either, we don't know what was said at the time Um, or how, I mean, because Nicholas Meyer is in the position of being the writer and the director. So he may have seen the whole thing in his head and who knows how much of it he wrote down. He might, be, you know, but in any case, um,
1: just an incredible scene. Um, the, and then the thought too, of the setup of it, like how it, you know, it's these two characters on opposite sides of this glass barrier, um, which is kind of a classic thing now. I mean, how many times have you done the, the thing where you, you do the... the <laughs> it's um, amazing. The hand on the, yeah. the glass, yeah. Well, and
0: it gets so much... Like, there's so much character in it. Uh, the, I love Leonard Nimoy's performance. Gets up, he straightens his uniform. Yes. Gets me every time. Just even he knows he's d- dead, but he still... Is going to go address the captain properly. Like he can't even see, right? Uh, because of like the radiation burns mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he like straightens his his uniform. He walks over, mm-hmm. right? And the dialogue is just great. I never took the Kobayashi Maru until now. I mean, it's just beautiful writing. Beautiful writing. Because mm-hmm. and again, it's been established through the whole movie. <sighs> Scenes. The ending works. When the rest of the movie was working toward it, right? Yes, and
1: like everything feels like it came together and culminates yeah. in this moment. You know, for the first, so for Kirk, for the first time in his entire life, the thing he's tr- been trying to run away from, the thing that he he is not accepted as a thing that he will have to face, he's having to face, and uh, and he wasn't expecting it.
0: And the, I mean, there's just so much great in here. You see this. And you see this amazing scene. There's so many great ideas in it. Having them separated by the glass, they get the two reverse shots. So you can see Kirk through, Mm -hmm. like, trying to look at Spock and Spock through. He can't see. He's just kind of huddled down. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And they pull back on it at the end. You just have the Kirk looking away and Spock is, like, on the other side of the glass. Yeah, and Kirk,
1: I mean, this is, the expression on his face. Amazing, And
0: they go right into, I don't know how the hell they do this. Like, Nicholas Meyer, this is why, you know, I don't know. I don't really understand other people's opinions on writing. I'll just be (laughs) honest. I don't know how you watch this movie and this isn't best screenplay. I just don't know.
1: Well, partly because I think it's it's sci-fi and it's it, you know, I, it's it's a genre yeah. movie and I think they're taken less seriously. But
0: I, it's just it boggles my mind because I'm like, right after that, you get this funeral scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he wrote this line. I don't know how he wrote this line. There are many great speeches in the history of film, mm-hmm. but they're very hard to write. Usually they go on a long time. Here, Nicholas Meyer wrote one line.
1: It's very brief, yeah.
0: It's one line. I mean, there's a little preamble where he no, says, "No, but yeah, the
1: whole the general the, the whole s- little speech that Kirk gives is very brief."
0: Uh, but then he just says, like, you know, of all the souls I've known,
1: I've encountered in my travels, in my
0: travels, right? His like, was his the most. was the most human. Yeah, it's it's stunning. Yeah, it's it's one of the greatest pieces of movie writing I've ever seen. It wraps up Kirk's character completely, Spock's character completely. Yep spock's death yep. the appreciation kirk has gained for spock mm-hmm. over everything that they've been through i mean it's absolutely stunning
1: it's amazing because i mean you're talking we're talking here about the death of one of the most iconic characters in all of fiction like in modern all of, fiction in all of
0: modern science fiction period maybe well, the, all of science fiction to be honest period.
1: maybe the most iconic maybe apart most. from like darth vader or something yeah, right yeah. um and you know To have to write the death of this character and to just absolutely nail it, to just get it so right, is just like not to be taken for granted, you know. And in some ways, I wish that you know, I wish that they left the character dead.
0: Well, in my opinion, he is. So, so I, I can't handle the rest of like I can't do the rest of Star Trek after this, really. So, it in my mind, they took
1: pretend they took place before Wrath of Khan.
0: Um, yeah, or whatever. Like in my mind, it ends here, mm-hmm. and this is how Spock actually dies, because there is no way to ever top this. This is like the best character death for genre fiction anyone's ever made. I can't think of a better no. one. Star Wars maybe comes close, but not really. Uh, uh, like it, 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 it's, it's kind of a very distant second mm-hmm. on this like genre fiction uh, deaths. It's just it's I I don't know what to say. So when I think about how, you know, you step back and you go those two scenes back to back, the writing is so good. And I just don't understand. Like people don't seem to appreciate it. What they think of as great writing is obviously not what I think of as great writing. It's like they don't seem to care about how hard this stuff is versus how easy some of the stuff is that they they give best screenplay to Yeah, I mean
1: it's like if you if you if you do a, you know, a, a movie about a couple fighting or something and they're doing a lot it's of yelling just, and and yeah. you know, talking about their emotions or whatever, like somehow that's that's It just isn't It's not as difficult, honestly. It's no
0: drama of that sort is much easier than this kind of thing where you're working with so many constraints and uh well, so much established stuff. And it's heightened stuff. and
1: it's and it's like it's heightened. you're 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 trying to create moments that that last that are yep. resonant in this really big way, and I, it's like, yeah, I, I agree. It's like you know, I think for some reason, sometimes like genre movies, like science fiction, fantasy, are are. I think it's you know, as they've grown in popularity, I think that's maybe changed a little bit. Unfortunately, they've they've gotten a lot worse in quality. But but the biggest movies now are you know, fantasy and fantastical, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and so I think I think there's now maybe more legitimacy. Um, you know, Lord of the Rings one best picture, right? So I think it's like. Yeah. In, in early two thousands,
0: the third one did.
1: Um. I'm right. um, so I. You know. I think over time, genre movies have gained more legitimacy and stuff. But like.
0: I mean, yeah. Like I defy someone to to like I don't know. We should look up what actually won best screenplay. It's just. I mean, I'm sure this wasn't even nominated. Is I guess what I would say. And so. Uh, I highly
1: doubt it. What year? Do we know what year it was?
0: I don't. I don't remember what year it was.
1: 1982. 82. So best screenplay, 1982. Chariots of Fire.
0: Come on. I mean, just no. Just hard no. I have nothing against Chariots of Fire, but absolutely not. By the way, yeah. Chariots of Fire also won best score. Also hard no.
1: Oh my God. Vangelis. It
0: doesn't matter. My point is just like, I don't think things like best screenplay line up at all with the difficulty of the writing mm. in the these things. And when someone comes along and does something like this yep. with Star Trek, the fact that that kind of thing goes unrecognized is in my opinion just a really poor showing for a industry that claims to be evaluating the writing separately. This is one of the best screenplays ever written and I would go to bat for it. Any day of the week, I will take all challengers on that one. I mean, one. I
1: think the only thing I would say is it's possible there's a personal preference element here, which is, like, if you're not the kind of person who likes things that are a little bit heightened and cheesy and, and like, melodramatic, then maybe you wouldn't like it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's easy to not like this movie. Yeah. I think it's easy to not like this movie. If this is not the kind of thing that you're up for when you go to see this movie, of course you wouldn't like it. That's true of anything that's done very well in a particular style, right? right? Right, So I don't claim anyone has to like this movie. Right. But anyone who doesn't think the writing in this movie is exceptional, I have no idea what to say to you. You are living in a different world where writing is way better than it is. Because <laughs> like when I look at what people think I of as well-written, yeah. I do not see how you can't put I this also in think
1: a lot of people... You know? Who have these kind of opinions probably have never tried to write anything.
0: Maybe, um, maybe
1: because I don't know. I, I kind of feel like if you actually try to like put together a well constructed story, uh, you pretty quickly realize just how difficult that is.
0: And you can see it in in all of the other genre pictures. It's it's very rare that you get a a sort of big sci fi space opera kind of movie that's well written at all. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see if it's if it were easy to do, it would be done. It never is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get very few. You get like, you know, uh some of the early Star Wars like Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think there is some very strong writing in there. It's it's not nearly as strong as this for various reasons, but um maybe something like Empire Strikes Back is uh yeah. is is up there, right? But, I mean
1: it, it ter- in terms of just big archetypal uh like and classical. if things
0: working together, ideas in the movie that actually are thematically related, sure, you know, sure, sure.
1: Yeah, it's not
0: this though, uh, and even that is all I can really think of. You know, I'm trying to think of other sort of sci-fi, like, spacefaring stuff yeah. that has this kind of writing. You know, Serenity's all right. It's got good dialogue. It's not doesn't really nail the the rest of the stuff. No, it's not. No. Um, no. I mean, I, I, so what, you know, where is it? It's like the, one of the reasons this is in my top five is this is the only space movie I can think of that has this kind of, uh, grit, this kind of like actual elbow grease in the, in the actual writing. And it, uh, for me, that's such a huge part of things I enjoy in a movie right. is the writing. Yeah. Cause you, you know, it's um, also
1: worth noting, I suppose mm-hmm. you're, you you know, one of the reasons I think we often come out disagreeing, diverge, yeah. we diverge on certain movies, um, hasn't happened yet in this podcast, but I'm sure it will. Is is um I think the things that we that our brains sort of prioritize, the things we we yes. care the most about. And for you, it seems like the number one thing is the writing. Is this is this yes. the screenplay, the the um, Absolutely.
0: I can yeah. forgive a lot if yeah. the screenplay is good, but the movie looks like crap and the acting is crap. I can still really enjoy that movie. And you're almost the opposite. Like, I think Uh, you could enjoy a crap screenplay if it's, if the, if the emotion and the, and the like, um,
1: yeah, I don't I don't think I'm ever going to think a movie is like truly truly great or something without that story part, but certainly enjoy in yeah. terms of enjoyment. Like I I'm much more capable of enjoying a Marvel movie than you are.
0: Yes. Well, and I and I would say the flip side for me too, like I am not necessarily going to consider a movie great if if only the screenplay is great. I would right. still acknowledge it's more the fact just that it's like, a great I, movie. Are you willing but to, I'll enjoy it. I'll yeah, enjoy it. Cuz like
1: there's a lot of times like, you know, I would be like, oh, I kinda wanna go see that Marvel thing. And yeah. and you would just be like, I oh, know.
0: Yeah, my head is like hung down. I'm yeah. like, oh God. Um
1: and at some point I kind of give up. Like I'm I'm done <clears throat> with Marvel. Like I haven't seen a new Marvel movie since Endgame. Yeah. Um That was the last that, yeah, uh, yeah. when that ended, I was like, okay, I'm done with Marvel.
2: <laughs> it was kind of a good
1: stopping point. Yeah. But you know what I mean. So it's like it, I think, you know, I can understand why Wrath of Khan would be in your top ten. Um, or top five, I think you said top
0: five, absolutely.
1: Um, because it uh, it just is perfect, basically in that story, uh, in the story sense of things. Yes. And I w- I would say it's it's you know close to my top ten. Yeah, definitely top fifteen, top twenty. I mean, you can rewatch it again and again, and it never really gets old.
0: I would I would also say that um, so w- one of the things I really like about Wrath of Khan. I mean, there's so many things I love about it and hopefully like we've rambled on about so many parts of it that hopefully now you can kind of see why I'm so into it. But uh, of the space epic kinds of things, it feels like there are kind of two ways that space battle goes. One is kind of like, cacophony World War II fighter plane kind of thing which is That's like, like the, the Star, Star Wars, Wars thing, way yeah. right there's a lot of little things flying around and ground troops potentially and well, explosions and this is, on surfaces this is, and, this is
1: the there's the the World War II method and the naval tall ship and method. this is yeah. the
0: naval tall ships one yeah. and when I think about how to do the tall ships thing right it's it's also this movie this is not only you know my favorite sci-fi movie ever made by far it's also my favorite tall ships movie in a way yeah, yeah. it's my favorite swashbuckler whatever you want to yeah, call yeah. that well, like I, tall ships battling in yeah, the high well, sea right talking
1: about another thing that about you know this movie gets right about star trek yes star trek is tall ships it's literally it's navy it's it the, the yeah.
0: was until jj adrams arrived
2: well that's what but i mean yes. i think you know it's that the old school. a
1: true understanding of what star trek is it's not Star Wars, as you yeah. say. It's not World War Two. Yes. it's 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 naval battles. It's the naval, like the hierarchy, the the military. Um, it's it's that's the that's the sort of history it's rooted in.
0: And I would say that the two styles, so world to me, World War Two is style is a lot easier to write and a lot harder to produce, like to direct, right? Because it's a lot there's a lot going on and you have to make it feel exciting. Yeah, well, in I think this, you like, have to have, uh, well, and
1: like Lucas, you ha- you know, had a love for that era. Yeah. He, you know, there's literal just shots in Star Wars, right, that are are just taken from dogfights. Yes, And yes. so you have to have that, like, affection for that historical sort of yes. thing.
0: And the the Navy version is a lot easier to direct. It's mostly people on a bridge talking, mm-hmm. but it's much harder to write because you have to come up with ideas and reasons why this is going to be tense like what's happening that makes it so that the viewer is really engaged in these two very slow moving objects right 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 it has to the story has to carry it all and that's again why I say like screenwriting here it's just absolutely brilliant because this stuff isn't interesting if the story and the dialogue aren't great it's going to be boring yeah, and to me, Wrath of Khan totally delivers exactly that tense, dramatic writing that makes tall ship stuff
2: work. I mean,
1: I think this is Star Trek in general has always been very writing focused, right? It's yes. it's very much like a play. I mean, the yes. the, the the series is are right, like because they're yeah they take place on usually in like one or a handful of like locations, and it's mostly characters talking, and out of that you can get. Obviously, some some bad, boring, failing stuff. But a lot of times, you can get some really, really great stuff. And uh, and Star Trek is kind of about the the conversations and the decisions and the characters. Yes. At its best, that is what Star Trek is about. Yes. That is why the new Star Trek stuff fails so badly. Well, but that's, a, that's I mean, a different I, conversation. Yeah. That's I would a- argue
0: that they fail badly for. All, all, reasons, the, all the reasons, all the reasons, all the reasons you could have, but but, 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 why they, but why that they f- is one. And I'd say it's
1: one, one of the said. one of the main reasons they fail to be Star Trek. Why they fail to feel like Star very Trek. Very well
0: said, very well said. Um, less important to me because again, well, and, I'm not a Star and, Trek and fan, but for Star Trek and fans, and it's a
1: different conversation. But I mean, yeah. I think the relevance to Wrath of Khan is just like absolutely. As a Star Trek fan, this movie kind of exemplifies, I think, everything that is great about Star Trek and what Star Trek at its best is about.
0: Well, and I would say, as someone who's not a Star Trek fan, that Wrath of Khan exemplifies everything that's great about big blockbuster movie. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, like a and, big
1: genre, like yes. high emotion, high action. Just- high
0: emotion, larger than life, big characters, big scenes. This is how you do it. This is when I go in with a with a popcorn, mm-hmm. if it's a popcorn and soda kind of movie, Yep. and I'm sitting in the theater, this is... If you show me Wrath of Khan, I am the happiest I will ever be. Like, it, it is yeah. it is the top of that kind of movie for me. Yep, and the, the blockbuster. I, I really yeah. wish more people could do it. Um, but, you know, this is, it was a one-of-a-kind kind of thing, and I, I've never really seen anything quite this good. Well,
1: and I think t- so. taking this kind of deep dive into it is really good because I think yeah. it helped people appreciate a little bit what is, what is working so well here um, that I think would be easy to maybe just not necessarily notice think like yeah that sure. was a fun movie you know yeah. but yeah. but there's actually so much about it that's working so well
2: yeah
0: i absolutely love it and that's probably a good place to uh yeah wrap it up. i mean
1: obviously we'd love to hear what you guys think i'm sure I- i'm gonna guess that we're gonna have some some uh, disagreements probably with the movie club i guess i'll be curious to hear um what, what your thoughts are
0: i'm assuming most people in the movie club would not like this movie as much as i did because it's not possible to like it more than I did. (laughs) That's Um, true. You're on
1: the far end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I I imagine most people would have more complaints about this movie than I do. Um, I I could nitpick a little, you know, a few things in it, but, you know, I I really mean it when I say that this is what I want to see when I go in to a theater. And I also, again, I just have a tremendous admiration for this movie in a larger sense, because a, I know, I know. Somehow it came together very quickly when Nicholas Meyer came on. I think that's an amazing feat to have yes. pulled this out, uh, uh, together yeah. this way. Two, it was not even going to be a big budget movie, and wasn't. It, it, like it, they got a bigger budget when uh, I don't remember what happened, but like something allowed them to get a bigger budget. I think maybe because Nicholas Meyer was able to get people more excited about the, the new screenplay, but I don't know the specifics of that, obviously. But they didn't really have that much to work with. The, this movie holds up remarkably well considering the fact that it was not a very high budget movie at the time. It was a mid more of a mid budget really. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you can tell.
1: You can tell and, watching and it. And so,
0: you know, I think they did a great job hiding that fact mm-hmm. it doesn't look obviously terrible no. all over and the I mean, place I, like like it easily could have oh
1: yeah and i mean i think it's coming but like star trek is the thing that it's based on yeah and the tv show yeah you know you're used to sort of a low budget looking thing this is obviously yes. looks a lot better than That's the star true. trek tv shows look yeah.
0: right you're not but expecting you're, it yeah like you
1: slick. have yeah. sort of expectations you you've already bought into a certain level of like cheesiness with the you yes, know yes, with certainly. the sets in the environment and this this is beyond that point like you're not really it's it's past like oh that looks hilariously bad yes, right it's yes. not it's not that but,
0: but i just think it's worth giving credit to the it's fact not using
1: it's not using that as a crutch in any way it can't it's not using
0: that as a crutch and it manages to paper over the fact that this wasn't the kind of movie where they had a huge budget and tons of pre-production time and all that's so like no like this was a seat of the pants thing that, you know, from from everything I've read about it, yeah, I, I just, just huge props to Nicholas Meyer for pulling this off, because I, I feel like it's also easy to forget probably just how hard it was to get this thing together.
2: Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. before
0: this, I think, I, I, I wanna say the only thing he did before this was a 7% solution. He was pretty new to directing, I think. It, this wasn't like his 20th motion picture. Or something like that. So, so uh, yeah, just a really remarkable job. Everyone at the top of their game. I think everyone achieved better than they normally do. It and all they came just, together.
1: It, it, it somehow all came, all came together. together to make this really wonderful so, thing. So, bravo! <laughs> Applaus, applause! Applause! Applause
0: for Star Trek Two, uh, one of my favorite films, and I hope you all enjoyed it as well.
1: Yeah, and I guess we will see you next week we with will. our with the final movie of Space Month, which is going to be uh, Moon.
0: Which I only have seen once, same, and remember it being you know, maybe a little bit in that interstellar category. It's things I liked, things I didn't like. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching yeah. it again. Yeah, me too. Um, and having a discussion about it because I do think there's probably a lot to say,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but I just don't remember the movie well enough to predict. So I, I'm, I'm looking know, forward to exactly it. exactly
1: same situation yeah. for me. Exactly the same. So yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Yes, we will. And, uh, and until then, we'll we'll see you on the internet.
0: Thanks, everybody.
1: Bye.